And we're live. Welcome to the Savage Bloggers Network Hangouts on Air. I'm Christian Serrano. And I'm Ron Blessing. And tonight we have with us co-creators of Miller Via's Thin Blue Line, Jason Marker. Hey, guys. And John Dunn. Hi, guys. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us on the show, and thanks for reaching out, by the way. Uh, we really appreciate you having us here, or joining us here, I should say. Uh, we've been talking about Thin Blue Line on the podcast for a while, for a number of weeks. So this is really exciting for both of us. I have to ask, how bad are we butchering the name of your company? Uh, you're getting it right. It's Latin. Meliorvia means better way. Uh, it came about from the way we had been uh, working with another company at the time, my former partner and I, and kind of spun that off. And, and on a related note, is it Thin Blue Line or The Thin Blue Line? It is. The full title is The Thin Blue Line, A Detroit Police Story. Ah, okay. So shorthand is Thin Blue Line. Excellent. Excellent. I'm I'm still lazy. I've been calling it TBL. So there you go. That's the name of our Dropbox folder, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That's efficiency right there. Excellent. Well, so, yeah. Go ahead. Well, we uh, didn't have for once. We had no technical difficulties. So I would like to thank Clint Black for not being here. Oh. And um, oh. oh, did I say that out loud? Damn, son. <laughs> that well, I'm cold in here. I love you, Clint. I do. I love Jody more, but I love you. So um, we had a lot of time to, to kind of get to know you guys while we were preparing for this, but the audience has not gotten to know you. So I was kind of hoping you can tell us about yourselves and your history with the RPGs. John? Sure. So I started gaming 40-odd years ago. Um, well, 35. And uh, started with D&D, played everything all through grade school and into high school and college. Uh, started freelancing, well, when I was in college, I did a lot of writing for RPGA adventures. Uh, pretty much everything that wasn't D&D, I wrote for. And then many years later, around 2000, 2005, I started working with uh, FanPro and then Catalyst to coordinate the Shadowrun missions campaign. And after doing that for a little while, worked my way in as a freelancer, and then freelanced with them. Eventually moved over to Fantasy Flight, working on 40K, Star Wars Edge of the Empire. And then from there, uh, started up Melior Via, did the Hope Prep setting for Icons and Mutants and Masterminds. And then uh, worked on a few other things for other companies. But eventually, Melior Via did a Cursed in cooperation with Ross Watson and Jason Marker as a Kickstarter in 2013 for Savage Worlds. And then uh, as we've progressed through that, we decided we wanted to go in a little bit different direction with another setting for Meliorvia, and that's when Jason brought Thin Blue Line to me. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. It's a good segue to you, Jason. That's a great segue. Thanks, man. <laughs> a good no setup. problem. That's a good setup. Uh, my name's Jason. Uh, I'm a writer from here in Detroit. Uh, I've been, like John, I've been playing role-playing games forever. I've been playing for 30-some years. Uh, and my first was Redbox D&D. And I was introduced to Redbox D&D by my friend Brian Hamlin, and who I haven't seen in 20-some years. So if you're out there, thanks, man. I owe everything to you. And, uh, you know, all through high school, um, a lot of D&D, uh, a lot of rifts. Um, <clears throat> I got into rifts in, like, uh, 90 when it came out. Um, the Robotech, the original Robotech RPG, um, played a lot of like World of Darkness, um, Cyberpunk, Shadowrun, um, you know, all all the sort of like the big name '90s, you know, late '80s, early '90s games I was into. Um, the original, uh, the original uh, Deadlands and Hell on Earth, which are both settings I love. Um, 
and then in '99, um, I wrote a I wrote a short piece of fiction as part of a, a, a creative writing class at a I was at a, a a community college in St. Louis, and my final for that class was write a piece of short fiction and you know send it in for publication. You know, send it in to to see if it gets published. And it didn't have to get published. I just had to send it in. And uh, I wrote this little short three-page piece of short fiction based on a Ramon Perez illustration out of one of the Rifts books and sent it to the Rifter, Palladium's quarterly magazine. And sure as hell, it got picked up, and I got uh, I got published in Rifter 8, which was their uh, Halloween issue because it was a horror, so it was a horror uh, story. From there, I freelanced for Palladium all through the 2000s. Um, while I worked other jobs, I'm trained as a chef, and... Uh, all through the 2000s, I was working as an advertising photographer, so I was taking pictures of cars. And uh, then that business changed, and my photo business went under because the business changed. And I got picked up at Palladium for two, um, for full time, so I was on staff there. And I brought the new or helped bring the new Robotech RPG back to market, which I'm still super proud of. I think the new Robotech RPG was really awesome, and I'm a huge Robotech fan anyway. So, um, and then uh, I was at Palladium for two years, and then I went freelance again. Um, I got picked up by Ross at, at uh, Ross Watson when he was at Fantasy Flight because of, on, on the strength of my Robotech work, and uh, I did all uh, worked on all the 40k lines. I've worked on all the Star Wars lines so far. Uh, did a cursive with John. I've done some Shadowrun 4 stuff. I've done some stuff for uh, Malifaux through the Breach. A um, couple other smaller things, um, and then I already said a cursive, right? Yes, accursed, <laughs> and uh, and now th now I'm doing Thin Blue Line. So excellent. So you've done a couple things then. Uh, yeah, here and there, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask real quick, just kind of uh, go off on a tangent. Are you excited about the uh, Savage Worlds riffs that's uh, coming out? Um, it's. I haven't played riffs or really thought about riffs in a long time. It's like way off my radar. Right. So. Right. It's it's interesting, but I'm not super stoked about it because I'm sort of in another place right now with my gaming. I hear so. you. Yeah, yeah, it's understandable. All right, cool. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. It was nice of John to give you a give you a take a chance on you then with uh, with your background. That was <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've known. I forget what our first what our first uh, 40k assignment was together, but uh, it was uh, Battlefleet Coronas. For was uh, it really? Yeah. God, what a great book that we're is. We're talking like 2009. Yeah, that was 09 or or 2010. Yeah. No, it was 2010 okay. because um, that was my second or third assignment for for, so for fantasy. Is that where your your uh, your RPG careers sort of intersected? Was that was it? At yeah. That point? Yeah. Surprisingly, yeah, there we were in the same place at the same time before that, but had never worked together. A lot of times, yeah. Or nor wow. had we met. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's just kind of a, it's kind of one of those things. So, how did the two of you pair up for a thin blue line, uh, John? Uh, lots of booze. Yeah, lots of drinking. <laughs> that works. That works. That's that's enough of an answer, actually. I think. It's, uh, perfect. <laughs> no, I you know I've been kicking around thin blue line for a long time, uh, and I've been running it for like ten or twelve years now, and. Um, I, you know, I had talked on and off about doing it, and John had mentioned, I don't know, maybe a year ago, he's like, oh, we should, we should totally do something else. You know, now that Accursed is doing real well, Accursed was awesome, we should do something else. I'm like, ah, yeah. yeah and I, I, I'm hard to get motivated sometimes, 
and people need to light a fire under me sometimes. So a combination of John and my wife, like at one point my wife just stormed in my office. She's like, look, what is going on with Thin Blue Line? What are you doing with it? And I'm like, well, I got give John a call. Maybe John will want to do it. And John's like, yes, let's let's make some art. So yeah, it was pretty that, much. Uh, wow. I need a list of how you want the book organized and a chapter spec before I can start. You know, actually moving this forward towards publication. Right. Yeah. And I and and I it, it sort of came at a time when I was uh, I go through these cycles. You know, with with writing and with my career, where it's like. Um, like, ah, I just want to dig ditches. I never, if I never write another word again, it'll be too soon, and I'm done with this. Throwing stuff around, and I have um, that conversation at work every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, do that, I do that with podcasting. It's, it's, it's between yeah. it's between digging ditches and going into carpentry. I'm, I'm right. Sure yeah. Well, it's actually yeah. actually it's like at the end of every assignment I've ever done, like two or three days before the deadline, it's like I hate writing. I hate this assignment. <laughs> I hate this IP. I hate I hate everything about this. I'm just gonna be a ditch digger because I never want to write again. I'm terrible at this. Everything sucks and is ruined forever. Yeah. yeah. And I was at a point like that just in my career and. You know, John was like, "Hey, let's make this game," and my wife was like, "Get off your behind and make this game." And I'm like, well, "I should make this game to prove to myself I can do it." So that's a good woman awesome. right there. That my, is a my, good my wife is a hell of a woman, guys. <laughs> oh, no, so I, I hear, I hear you. I, I, I understand. That's why, why I'm, I'm recognizing it. Very cool. That's right. That's right. So something you you told us uh, earlier, I want to, I want, I want to get some reaction um, from our our viewers. Um, you had an original game system that you ran the Thin Blue Line campaign. <laughs> yeah, Thin Blue Line. I, I originally developed it when I was still like, um, have like when I was still freelancing for Palladium, still heavily into Palladium games and everything, and primarily playing Palladium stuff. I ran Thin Blue Line as a Beyond the Supernatural game. Wow. That, you know, because that's Palladium's modern horror setting. And and it's creepy. It's I mean, it's from good. the settings it's a go, setting. it's a killer setting. Yeah. That's the one that was originally called Hellspawn, right? And then they... No, 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 no. No, you're thinking uh, Nightbane. Okay, Nightbane. Cause Nightbane, they... which is another Nightspawn. Yeah, that's what it was. Which is another really rad setting that I actually crossed over with Beyond the Supernatural when I was doing my Thin Blue Line stuff. There you go. Because there's a cool. lot of there's a lot of uh, in Nightbane. There's a lot of body horror, and I love body horror. I like that kind of Cronenberg, you know, the fly body horror kind of stuff. Right. And uh, there's a lot of that in Nightbane, so I moved that, you know, I sort of crossed that into uh, Beyond the Supernatural when I was, you know, putting Thin Blue Line together originally. And it was just a thing that I was running at conventions and at home for my friends. It was never really a campaign. It was sure. never going to be like a book or a source book or anything. It was just, you know, hey, let's do something. Because, you know, I've lived in Detroit for 12 or 13 years now. And it was just one of those things. Like, Man, this town is weird. Let's do a rad setting. You know, let's play some rad games in Detroit. So that's how it's pretty much how it came about. And I like it. You were talking about the pitch process before. One of the big things we did, uh, what, about three months ago, after we were already starting down the path pretty well, I guess it was more than three months now. Um, yeah, we've been doing this for a while. Jay, I went up to Detroit and hung out for a day with Jason, and we did just a really solid tour of the city where he you know, showed me a lot of the things. I'm from mm -hmm. Cleveland. I've been to Detroit before, but I hadn't experienced the way that uh, his private tour turns it into, because he showed me a lot of the buildings, gave me a lot of history of it, and pointed out things and said, you know, okay, here's where this ghost story happened, here's where this haunting happened, here's the origin of this curse. And it was really just amazingly enlightening to see how much of that was going on, and then also to see how the different neighborhoods of the city have changed over the years. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody thinks RoboCop and Urban Blight when they think Detroit, and there are elements of that, but there are also 
a lot of places where you see people, you know, hanging on, some by their fingertips, some doing really well, and the contrast between that is just really something to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, the city is huge. Um, you guys, you guys might not know this. The city is 142 square miles. That's uh, just yeah, the city. A very that's, small the, city. that's not the metro area. The metro area is way bigger. So right. I, I, the the all talking point I always like to use is, you can fit Manhattan, San Francisco, and Chicago, just the cities, within Detroit, and still have room to move around. Wow. Yes. At its height, there were two and a half million people that lived in the city of Detroit. There are now le fewer than 700,000. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, when, uh, that's amazing. We got, we got that poster map. It's one of the Kickstarter rewards. When yes. I was working on that, I was assembling imagery to send to the graphic artists guys to make some changes on it. <laughs> and it really struck home just how huge Detroit was because we're, you know, I'm putting these photos together, putting these photos together, and I look at the folder where I've got all the photos, and I'm like, oh, shit, it's 250 gigs. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Town. Yeah. I was actually tempted because uh, I, I actually added the five dollars for the um, for the poster map, and uh, and then I was thinking, oh man, I could pull up Google Maps and like do like you know annotations with markers and regions and all this kind of stuff and and share that out. And I was I was uh, I was already thinking ahead of, of how I'm gonna <laughs> use that map. Well, the, there there are a few changes. There are a few different things on the yeah. poster map that aren't that are different from the Google map because Detroit, as it is in the Thin Blue Line, is Detroit. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Okay. So. Cool. So, uh, so if you were to define thin blue line, it's it's obviously got the police sort of you know component to it, which we'll we'll get into. But there's that supernatural. Uh, you, you've used the word paranormal. For the sake of the conversation, let's define exactly what you mean by these you know by those elements. Okay. Maybe some examples. Um, all right. Well, let me let me start with this. So my pitch for the thin blue line has always been, it's X Files meets Hill Street Blues. Right, and I know that dates me as a gamer of a certain age, but uh, it's a not just you know, a gamer. I'm there with you, man. So <laughs> right. yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, the the paranormal elements within the game. Okay, so it's not like a it's not like a straight up urban fantasy game. So that you know, there's not werewolves, and there's not a huge vampire or a, a huge vampire conspiracy, and there's not zombies in the sewers, and there's not a lot no of that. Glitter. Pardon? No glitter. No, I no. <laughs> Shiny no, I mean, no, there is glitter, but it has nothing to do with vampires. <laughs> right. um, that's that's something completely different. Um, so the, the the paranormal in the game is um, it's just an extension of nature, essentially. It's right. a natural force, and so a lot of the spirits that you get are nature spirits, and they're um, either they're related to different aspects of nature or different aspects of the city that's built here. Uh, so you see, um, so like one of the monsters we have in the setting is a creature called the the Creekside Shambler. Right. And Creekside's a neighborhood way on the southeast side, and the Shambler is a water spirit that manifest it physically manifests, so it sort of looks like Swamp Thing, right? So it's just like this mass of weeds and garbage and stuff, and uh, it's when Shamblers manifest, they're always angry because the water's dirty, and that's wow. you know, and so they'll come up out of the water and they'll grab a a swimmer or they'll grab a, a guy out of a canoe, drag him underwater and drown him. Neat, neat. You know, so, that, so, so investigating those incidents is, is, is where where the setting sort of uh, falls, right? Right. Yeah. So you know, and then there's there's things like that, but there's also like you know one of the um, one of the games I've run in this, and uh, one of the adventures, one of the cases, is um, there's a naiad in a building, 
in the water system of a building that's being rehabbed and it's killing construction workers. Oh, wow. Because it had been living in the flooded basement for 30 years. Right. And when they started, because every, every basement in the city has got water in it unless it's pumped out. Uh, and that's just a fact of life <laughs> living in Detroit, especially downtown because it's so close to the river. And, um, <clears throat> you know, so this naiad had lived in the basement for 30 years and had come up the river and into the water system, got into this basement and couldn't get out. And then the construction workers drained it and its home was gone. And so it was living in the pipes, and it was manifesting and killing construction workers. And so, you know, the Corktown officers have to go up there and figure out what's going on, and deal with this, right? And so Corktown's mission is um, uh, contain and eliminate, right? They need to keep it. They all this happens and all this all this paranormal stuff, all this these incursions I call them paranormal incursions. They all happen in out in front of everybody, you know, where mm -hmm. people can see. But ninety percent of people can't handle seeing it, and their brains short-circuit when they see a ghost or a, um, a, a shambler or a salt person from the salt mines or whatever, and they'll write it off as something else. Oh, it's a, uh, it was a rabbit animal, or it was a, it was a dog with mange, or it was a right. sw swamp gas reflecting off a weather balloon with Venus and thing, right? And so there's always a, they always try to rationalize it away, but, uh, you know, it's there, and the city is very weird and very haunted, and sort of the background for the setting is there's a massive upsurge in paranormal activity and everything's boiling out, you know, so the cops are working, the Corktown officers are working harder and harder and harder, you know, like I was joking the other day with someone, they're working 10 hours a week, or 10 days a week, 30 hours a day, triple overtime, trying to keep this under wraps while their brains are unraveling because of their psychic powers and their, uh, connect, and their constant uh, exposure to the paranormal. Neat. You know, so it's sort of this like five minutes to midnight thing where the whole you know the whole lid's gonna blow off of everything and it's you know like at the end of Ghostbusters where all the ghosts come out of the top of the firehouse. Right. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's gonna be you know the you know the it's totally beleaguered cops at Corktown are trying to keep a lid on it before everything just goes haywire. So you just mentioned Ghostbusters. Are there aspects of like you know spectral or ghostly encounters as well, or is it all like yeah. natural? No, okay, there's cool. there, there are definitely spirits and ghosts in there. They're part of that. You know, they're 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 something else. They're not like a nature creature. You right. know, sometimes they're a sometimes they're a recording. So, you know, sometimes they're a uh, like a powerful emotion was spent there, and it recorded itself on you know the fabric of time. Right. You know, right. and so like uh, at the in Corktown in the Corktown neighborhood, which is Detroit's Irish neighborhood, that's where the game is sort of set. Um, at the intersection of uh, Trumbull and Michigan Avenue, that's where Tiger Stadium was for about a hundred years. And it's gone now, but the field is still there. People still play baseball on it. People play like historic baseball, and they have picnics and stuff there. Um, you know, one of the throwaway things I mentioned in the book was they have a problem with um, the ghost of Ty Cobb appearing and running the bases. Oh, that's awesome! Because you know, Ty Cobb played for the Tigers for the longest time, and that's he's not a nature spirit, and he may you might be able to talk to that ghost, but it doesn't know it's a ghost, and it's probably just a recording. Oh wow! Okay, so it's one of those things. It's like, you know, you get a, you know, a, a Corktown officer gets a call. You know, we have an incursion. We have a possible, you know, possible manifestation at such and such an address. You know, send a car out there, and so the cop has to go out there, and they're like, "All right, what is this?" And there are parapsychologists that are on staff at the precinct, and they study all the paranormal stuff, and they've got, you know, all the records going back a hundred years because the Corktown precinct is about a hundred years old, and you know, you know. 
you know, the, the, the report says this, this, and this, so it could be X, Y, and Z, but we don't know, so go in there and find out what it is. So this officer has to go in there into an empty house or into a, uh, an, an, an abandoned factory or an empty field or just somebody's backyard and figure wow. out what's back there. You know, and if it could be just a, a pattern ghost, which is like, you know, like Ty Cobb, just like running the bases. Or it could be a golem or <laughs> a shambler or, you know, salt people or dogmen or something horrible back there. You know? Or it could be some druggies that are really just strung out. Exactly. Right. That's, right. that's another thing because they they're they are still dealing with the regular mundane day to day crime that happens in the city. Right. Right. So when a, when a Corktown officer goes on shift, you know, they get their you know they get their briefing from the duty sergeant. They get their stuff on. They get in their car. They you know pull out onto Michigan Avenue, and they're on patrol for eight or ten hours, and they're dealing with all the regular stuff that police officers in Detroit deal with. The, the mundane quote. The unquote. mundane stuff. Right. But then they could get a call on the special frequencies with the special ten codes, and it's like we've got a you know a manifestation in public. You know, I need M six 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 over in the uh... exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you read the thing, that, right? Yeah. yeah, and there's nothing to say that that uh that it can't be a combination of the two, right? You know, strung right. out druggies in, interacting with something. Well, and that's where it gets into. So there is magic in the setting. So all the cops are psychics, right? That, or they are mundane people that run ins with the paranormal, right? And they their eyes have been opened and they can understand this now. And there's a couple um, of arcane backgrounds associated with it too, right? Right, yeah. There's arcane background, psychic, arcane background, nullifier, mm -hmm. um, which basically is uh, immune to psychic powers and damps, dampens psychic powers around it. But uh, there is magic in the setting, but um, uh, is this a family-friendly podcast? Mostly. <laughs> Relatively speaking, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, sorry, kids. Uh, in the setting, magic is, magic is for assholes. Okay. Um, that was kind of a magic for all magic is ritual magic, and it requires a blood sacrifice. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. So, uh, decent so that, people don't use magic. Yeah. So you talk about, you know, like, druggies, bleh, you know, getting, you know, maybe they get, maybe some, you know, some maybe some crackhead or some junkie gets a hold of a, an ancient book, an ancient tome, and, you know, oh, this will make me rich, or this will make me whatever, and they kill somebody, and it summons a horrible creature, <laughs> You know, so that that kind of touches on a question that Ron had. Um, Ron, you were—I think you were curious about uh, mechanics regarding supernatural. Yeah, yeah. Can can you tell me a little bit about some some of the mechanical things that you've done to to bring this stuff to life in Savage Worlds? Like uh, like like what the creatures or the psychic powers or uh, you know, like a specific. Powers. You know, uh, obviously, uh, there's a a pretty um, straightforward paradigm set forth as far as the way creatures work. Right, um, but I'm I'm more interested in what you're doing with like uh, arcane backgrounds and, okay. and, and things like sure. that. So there's arcane background psychic, and um, the parapsychologists at Corktown have come up with roughly five kinds of psychics. Not all psychics fall into this into these five categories, um, but the four rough or the five rough kinds of psychics are telepaths, which read mm -hmm. thoughts, empaths. Right which read feelings. Intuitives, which are mechanical psychics. That means they can manipulate uh, machines and computers. Uh, and they also they can also manipulate knowledge. So one of our powers is autodidact. And if you... It's kind of expensive. It's three PowerPoints to use. And um, when you fire up autodidact, you know everything about one specific... Um, one specific uh, 
um, subject knowledge. One, yeah, one specific subject for one hour. Oh, nice. So I ran a demo last night, and the guy that was playing my uh, intuitive used autodidact so that he would know everything about ancient Egyptian death cults for one hour because <laughs> he needed it, you know. And he was fantastic, and that was his power. So that's those are intuitives. Then there are Vitruvian psychics who their powers are more for um, boosting their own abilities so that they can jump higher, run faster, shrug off bullets, jump out of, jump, you know, ten stories out of a building and not get hurt, see in the dark, you know, hear things that normal people can't hear, and they can also heal. I am um, so glad I backed this. And then, and then, <laughs> then there are nullifiers. And nullifiers, um, like I said, nullifiers are the ones that um, they emanate this field of like an anti-psychic field. And so psychic powers cannot be used in their presence. Creatures flee from them, and they can't be affected by psychic powers. Which means, you know, while they can't be possessed or whatever, they also can't be healed, and they also can't be buffed. Ooh. You know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so nullifiers are powerful, but ugh, they, you know, that's all they can do. Yeah. <laughs> they, no, can't any, they can't get any benefits from their teammates, and their presence actively hinders their teammates. Thankfully, oh. nullifiers are super rare. And then... Yet I want to play one now. Right. Yeah, they're, they're super <laughs> awesome. They're super awesome. Um, and then, so using, so using psychic powers is really hard on you. Yeah. Um, and so to reflect that, we came up with the Delirium and Reason Tracker. And it's a five-point five point system, five-rank system. And it starts at Perfect Reason, and it ends at Total Delirium. And Perfect Reason is like me and you and John and Christian. Right, well, just regular, time. regular guys. Right. Well, we, none of us have psychic powers, and you know we're just regular people. And if we see something crazy, that's a dog with mange. That's not a hellhound. Right. You know, right. That's not. That's not. That's not the dog man. Um. One, if you have psychic powers, or once you see something for real, once the scales have fallen from your eyes, then you go one step down on the reason tracker towards delirium to a regular. Interesting. And there are there are um. Uh, bonuses and penalties to different um, different skills that you get as you go further along the track because you become more and more detached from humankind. And at pure delirium, essentially your spirit detaches itself from your body and becomes a ghost. Oh, wow. So your body's still alive, but your soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it just takes off because it's become, a, it's become a thing of pure paranormal you know, essence. So at that point, is it essentially just like an empty shell, like your yep. body? Yeah, wow. yeah, your body's still alive, but it's a vegetable. Oh wow! It's in a vegetative nope. state, and it'll never come back. You can't get back, and there's no way to get back to perfect reason. But you can stave off the madness by constant psychotherapy. Interesting. There are therapists in the there are regular psychologists and parapsychologists working at the, in the Corktown precinct, and the officers have to. If you're going to work at Corktown, you have to submit to therapy and group therapy and analysis. And moving a step back toward perfect reason is an edge purchase. Right. In yeah. the game mechanics. Yep. That is really, really awesome. Yeah. And a lot <laughs> of it, and a lot of it, you know, some of that comes through, you know, um, role-playing and stuff like that. Some of it comes from mechanical stuff. One of the, one of the mechanical ways to have that happen is if you uh, if you roll a critical failure trying to activate a psychic power. Oh wow! Yeah, that's and that's cool. that's that's where it gets ugly 
because you know it's like, well, I can use this. And the more you use your psychic powers, the crazier you get. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's like I can do this. I can see in the dark, or I can know everything about ancient Egyptian death cults for an hour. Or but I can. There's a cost and a risk. There's a cost to it. Yeah. And yeah. this was a system we wanted to put together because we felt we liked the sanity mechanic from Savage Worlds, but we wanted it to tie in a little bit better with our world setting, and that's why we sat down and worked this out and thought this would be a better way to make the whole thing a little bit more visceral and specific to Thin Blue Line. Right. 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 I like it a lot. And then the, the officers who are mundane officers but who have had run-ins with the paranormal, um, who can see, you know, who can understand the ones that are at Corktown, they are, they have defenses against psychic powers. You know, they're, they're tougher. You know, their minds are stronger. They're still unraveling, but they unravel at a slower rate. Right. They're, they're, yeah. yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's their trade-off for not being psychic, is right. that they're towers of will. So le- less sensitive to... Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's a there's a an edge you can is that an edge or a flaw or an edge or a hindrance? Edge to start with jaded, I believe. No, Jade, I'm talking about detached psyche. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is detached psyche an edge or a hindrance? <laughs> I don't remember. Well, well, I just remember as, a, as an item of suspense for those who are Yeah, but detached it. psyche is detached psyche is awesome. You've had such a horrible run in with the paranormal that your psyche becomes detached. Essentially, and it's sort of like rattling around inside your body. Wow. Rattling around inside your head, and it makes you, it makes you completely immune to psychic powers. Neat. Neat. Sort of like a nullifier is, right? Right. But it's right. one of those things like, yeah, you you can't be fooled and you can't be possessed, but you can't be healed. It is a and, hindrance. And you can't be protected. Yeah, it is a hindrance. It's yeah. a hindrance. Okay. So out of curiosity, Accursed, um, if I recall correctly, it, it leveraged some of the, some elements from the Horror Companion, correct? And uh, does yeah. this also leverage some components from Horror Companion, or is it its own thing altogether? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the things we were looking at when we were putting the book together was the bestiary. Uh, we've got a lot of specific creatures that we want to put in, but the Horror Companion has a fantastic bestiary that's extremely comprehensive. Yeah, and it does. There just is not a good reason for us to reprint or recreate a lot of those creatures when they're readily available in the Horror Companion. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few edges and a few hindrances that we also went, yeah, this from the Horror Companion, it really fits the tone we want for the setting. So we are strongly recommending that people use that as well. And you mentioned rituals earlier. Is that is that also using rituals from the Horror Companion, or is it its own creation as well? The rituals are largely an NPC thing. Okay. So that's okay. not something we really delve into as much. Right. Okay, so that's not something players would opt into, uh, but more something that the GM would use as a tool for the story with NPCs. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. absolutely. They are a plot device. Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I used it as a, I used it as a plot device. I ran a game where the uh, players were actually firefighters in Detroit Fire Department. They were uh, a rescue squad. They call them tactical response teams for some reason in the fire department, and uh, they uh, they showed up to this massive you know five alarm fire in a factory. And they've got to go in there and fight the fire and rescue. There's probably squatters and homeless people in there. And uh, it starts out as a, a fight in a regular fire, and then they get in the basement, and they find the fire elemental and all the oh. salamanders down there. Nice. Because somebody accidentally summoned them. Wow. You know, Very So cool. like a, homeless, a, a bunch of homeless people squatting in the basement trying to keep warm 
and they started a fire and they had this ancient book and somebody got burned to death and the fire elemental showed up and then the fire elemental summoned a whole bunch of salamanders and the wheels came off. I just call that as being resourceful. I don't but, know. Right? You know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to get creative, right? That's awesome. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I've been liking is the uh, the blog posts that you guys have been doing. Oh, and um, you've given us a lot of examples right out of those. But specifically, um, the posts themselves, are those out of the book or is this like complementary to the book? A little um, bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Okay. Cool. Well, well that was an easier question. Than <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I could help. The stuff that will be in the book is not necessarily, that we're putting in a blog post is not necessarily a final draft. Sure. Uh, a lot right. of it's earlier drafts than what went into, uh, even what went into the Playtest Player's Guide. That Makes uh, sense. That back, for the record, I don't think we've mentioned it in pimping the, pro the Kickstarter. As soon as you back the Kickstarter, uh, if you go to the first update, you can grab the Playtest Player's Guide right away. So you're getting something immediately. I wish I had read that properly because I would have looked at that already. Yeah, same here. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I no. I got my face. Um, well, <laughs> are there any particular posts that you've done so far that are, that are like, personal favorites? Uh, what about you, John? Do you have a personal favorite? Well, the one that I think I contributed the most to was the one where we talked about St. Agnes and the biker gang. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, I kind of dug that one, which I mean gave me a chance to have a little more free. Oh, Jason has done almost all the work on this setting. Let's be upfront about that. I've helped him a little bit with mechanics and a little bit here and there. Um, but that was one where I got to contribute a bit more, and that was we have a priest leading a gang of bikers, the uh, who basically he knows that the ghosts are real. He's probably a former exorcist, though. Uh, the archdiocese really can't say anything about his history. Yeah, um, the archdiocese doesn't answer any questions about Father. Uh, oh no, I forget his name. Martinez. Martinez or something like something like that. Um, and the gang is called God's Children, and his focus is on eliminating any paranormal threats in the city. And they hang out in St. Agnes's, which is basically an abandoned, condemned Catholic church, which. If you Google St. Agnes, Detroit, the photos of that are just amazing. Um, and so we've got this gang of bikers that is going around fighting the paranormal, but the big problem is they acknowledge that the paranormal exists. They want people to know about it because they're under the impression that if people know about it, they'll be better able to combat it. And that's pretty much the exact opposite of Corktown's philosophy. So that makes, you know, kind of a really nice contrast there between the two groups and makes them a real thorn in the side of all the yeah. officers. So, so according to the mass public, you just have a bunch of crazies out there that are, like, spouting all this stuff. And Absolutely. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Cool. That's, I mean, a, that's a cool dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I think mine are... Uh, I, th I have two. Mine, my two are the crash of, XO, of XA908 oh, yeah. and uh, the salt people. Yeah, the salt people was really cool. I like that so, one. That was really cool. So... Why a police story rather than, say, you know, private investigators or, like, some secret government organization or, you know, whatever, you know? Um, it just appealed to me. When I was, when I was coming up with the ideas for, uh, for Thin Blue Line, you know, way back in the early 2000s, I was, I was up to my eyeballs in Law & Order reruns. You know, it was like I think A&E was showing Law & Order four times a day. And I was working as a chef at the time, so I was catching Law and Order at least twice a day. 
<laughs> and I love police procedurals. You know, like I, I always talk about um, uh, uh, Hill Street Blues, mm-hmm. you know, which is the police procedural. You know, it's That's one of the best shows. has been in my head since the beginning of this show, by the way. Awesome. Awesome. It's one of the best shows that came out of the 80s. It's such a fantastic show. Yeah. And that, that sort of, you know, you see the, the aesthetic in that precinct in Hill Street Blues. The building is falling apart. The cops are at their wits' end. You know, that sort of, like, desperation in them, you know, trying to hold the, the fabric of the city together. Um, and I just love police procedurals. And I like buddy cop movies, too. And I like, you know, I like all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, combined with, I just love horror. I love modern horror. I love body horror. And I love that sort of alien Cthulhu Lovecraft horror, right? So all that came together, and I was looking to do this horror game. And I'm like, ah, you know, what if they were, like, cops, you know, what if they were like psychic cops and they, you know, they were secret? And, you know, I needed a way to isolate them, so I made them secret. I put them in Corktown. And, um, you know, in the setting, uh, other precincts in DPD th- believe that Corktown is where uh, losers and washouts go. All right? None of the other, none of the other DPT, DPD precincts can stand Corktown because they're all weirdos, because they're so crazy because of their powers. And um, they're picked out from the other precincts by talent scouts who are Corktown officers embedded in other precincts. And a, a talent scout will suss you out. You know, maybe you maybe you manifested a power at a crime scene. Maybe they just felt it on you. Maybe they could just tell by the way you acted. You know, you got some disciplinary problems. You know, maybe internal affairs is on you for something. And the, a, 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 a talent scout gets wind of that and sits you down and says, hey, I have an offer for you. You know, why don't you take this transfer and we'll get you the help you need, or we'll get you, you know, we'll get you the revenge against creatures that you need, or we'll, you know, whatever, we'll help you out. And so they'll, they're all funneled down into Corktown to fight the supernatural. That's pretty cool. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's why cops. That's why police. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of dovetailing off of that, um, do you do anything with the police uh, organization kind of mechanically in the game, or are they kind of more of a character in the game? What do you mean? So, so like, um, East Texas University has mechanics that specifically incorporates university life into, into gameplay. Um, oh, like you have to take okay. tests and you have to, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Your funds are sometimes affected by, you know, right. like semester to semester. Right on. Kind of um, mechanically, there's, um, there's a hindrance, which is vow to serve and protect, mm-hmm. right? And there's an edge, which is legal authority. You know, so you can you know, be a cop that way, um, and then a lot of that other stuff is role playing. A lot of that okay. other stuff, you know, for I prefer to do that kind of stuff just for me personally in a role playing sense. Sure. You know, where it's like, and that'll be in the GM section where it's a lot of cops do ninety percent of their work is paperwork, right? You get to work before your shift, you do paperwork. You get in your car and you pull out and you do like one sweep around your, your area, your district, and then you pull into a parking lot somewhere and you do more paperwork. Right, right. Right. While you're listening to the radio. And then you drive to a case, you know, you drive to a call, you take care of that call. After that call, you do more paperwork. You know, it's just like constantly doing that kind of work. So that's that's like role playing stuff, you know, to me. Right. And it's in you know, I'm gonna talk about that in the game master section some more. But it's important to keep in mind that paperwork is neither fast, furious, nor, nor fun. fun. Right. No, totally. So we don't want to include that a whole lot. Uh, yeah. 
things we want to look at is more of a cinematic approach. One other mechanic thing that we do mention is we mentioned the law and parapsychology knowledge, knowledge specializations, right. um, and those are important too. Um, a lot of the police procedural elements that we're going to be adding in will filter into the GM advice, and also we're going to have an adventure generator in the GM yes. section, and a lot of that's going to be based on that'll have information on the different types of crimes, classifications, and you know linking all that together, how it can be connected to the paranormal. And I'm assuming things like gear is obviously provided just default because yeah, so right. A, yeah, you got yeah, have... a vest, a sidearm, a baton, a uniform. Right, right. A belt, you know. Cool. But all right. you want, if you want like a drop gun or you want a, you know, a backup weapon or you want something special, then you got to buy that. All right. Um, so also, on the gear front, there's a lot of specialty gear specific to Corktown. Right. For combating paranormal entities. Right. Of course. Of course. So, so what if um, I find Thin Blue Line to be an interesting concept, and I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan, mm-hmm. and my first inclination is I can't do anything in Detroit if I'm a Colorado Avalanche fan. <laughs> oh, but you can. Oh, oh, but you can because I believe the Avs play away games. <laughs> against the Red Wings. They do, which is why I mentioned this. But <laughs> in all seriousness, I'm in just all seriousness, saying. In all seriousness, is there is there like a, a what if you wanted to run this in another city type of section, or is is that more? Did did you want to use the word count to just you know really talk Detroit? Do you mind if I take this one, Jason? Have at it. All right. So one thing to keep in mind from the get go is that. This game is very much Jason's love st- love letter to the city of Detroit. Nice. Um, awesome. I don't understand it, but he likes the town. Um, <laughs> and the game is very deeply embedded in the city, and that's why we put a Detroit police story in the title. The first 40-ish pages of the book are a history of Detroit and a description of the neighborhoods because the city is very much a central figure in the game. Um, it is probably the most important NPC in the setting. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It sounds like it's a character that's that's really integral to the setting itself. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I so like it. while there might eventually be a spinoff someplace else, that's not the focus at this point. Yeah, because I can imagine, like especially in the South, there's a lot of, you know, sort of gothic, uh, Southern Gothic uh, tales, you know, that deal with supernatural elements, and uh, and I could I could imagine, you know, like here in Atlanta, for example, uh, being able to run something just like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, my uh, my band plays Mardi Gras every couple of years. Yeah. And whenever I'm in New Orleans, I'm like, oh man, look at this place. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just like totally, totally cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so, if you ever, uh, so is that a call out to any freelancers who live in particular cities, or? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I really uh, I love the concept. So, so I'm going to give you another. Um, suppose, suppose, um, you just got an Apple Music uh, uh, subscription, and you now have access to the entire iTunes library, and you wanted to put together a soundtrack for Thin Blue Line. <laughs> What would be on that soundtrack? It's funny you should mention that. I have been curating, and I, I just I released one a couple weeks ago. I need to do the, the next one. I have been curating 
specific genre playlists on Spotify of Detroit and Michigan musicians. Oh wow! Um, oh, so nice. I, I I linked to the rock and roll one earlier. Um, I'm releasing the hip hop one real soon because we got a fantastic hip hop scene here. Uh, and then I'm going to do jazz and blues, and then I'm going to do Motown. Nice. Uh, so a lot of Motown music would be on a Thin Blue Line soundtrack, right? Uh, a lot of um, techno because you know Detroit kind of invented techno. Um, so a lot of techno music would be on there. Stuff like you know, and even stuff sort of like more mainstreamy stuff like uh, uh, the White Stripes stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of like uh, um, the Electric Six. They're a Detroit band. Um, you know, so it's a lot of. We have a huge and very diverse music scene here across all kinds of genres, across any kind of genre you can imagine. And, you know, it's easy to populate a whole bunch of uh, playlists of Detroit music. That's fantastic. A any particular film scores? Hmm. Um. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. John. Uh, I mean, starting with your typical Halloween type horror movie soundtrack list would probably be a everything safe by guy. John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the um, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 soundtrack. Yeah. Nice. Oh, interesting. I was actually thinking the soundtrack for uh, Judgment Night, which is a oh, which is one of my favorites. Terribly good movie, and by me, by terrible and good at the same time. Right, right, exactly. yeah, yeah. Terribly um, good movie. I have that soundtrack, and I still listen to it regularly. So I do have to throw out one other band there, and that's Midnight Syndicate. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Halloween soundtracks. Their right. stuff is well suited as well. Right. I was listening Excellent. to the score for uh, L.A. Confidential last night when I was writing the questions. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's a good uh, score. I was also yeah. thinking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, like uh, the soundtrack to The Crow, the movie. Yeah. The, the movie. Oh yeah. I use that one as well in my games. Yeah. And then you spin that out. You know, you listen to, uh, you know, a lot of the music that you know, because Joe Barr is from Detroit, right. the guy that wrote The Crow. Right. And um, you know, he references a lot of the Swans. And Bauhaus and Joy Division and the Sisters of Mercy and bands like right. that in the Crow in the comic, you know. So any of those are good for a, you know, a nighttime chase through the city. Nice, yeah. very nice. Excellent, Excellent. so cool. I, I'm a, I'm a fan, guys. We gotta keep this awesome. going. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Do you have any um, like future supplements and stuff in mind, or? We're just not talking about that yet. Where are we at with that? We got to get this book done first. We're yeah. still, as of right now, we're still about three thousand dollars away from funding on the Kickstarter. Right. So we are concentrating real hard on that. Right. Um, we did have five authors volunteer to write one sheets for us as a stretch goal. Um, we'd really like to hit that, though that's still a little ways off. Yeah. Um, and there are seven days as of right now, correct? As of noon today, there were seven days. So. Right. We're in, we're in crunch time. If you're on the fence and thinking about it, that would be a great time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Really use your help. Let's make this happen. I, I'm totally stoked for this setting. So, um, what, what happens if the Kickstarter doesn't fund? Are we just done? We will have a long conversation about that. Okay. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> all right. All right. So, for all of you watching, let's make this happen. Yeah, I don't want to have a long conversation where I don't get the setting. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, I did notice that it was on. Um, so I, I subscribed to the uh, email notifications from FRP Games just to kind of see what's coming out and when. And they did mention Thin Blue Line in October. So I didn't know if that was just an accidental slip or, uh, you know, just sort of. We have solicited it for October. We have a print distribution partnership with Studio Two Publishing, and we expect if the Kickstarter funds to get it to them so that it will hit stores in October. Right. which means we plan to get it to our backers before then. Mm -hmm. But if the Kickstarter doesn't fund, we will have to have a long time. Long conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. Understood. Understood. So we'll leave it at that then. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is actually a really critical question that I, I wanted to ask. Uh, <laughs> in the video, that little girl... <laughs> that's my <laughs> oldest daughter. <laughs> okay. Excellent. That's, that's my daughter, Katerina. That's so cute. Uh, she she hung out with us when we were filming that day, and uh, she that was about the eighth or ninth take. And uh, there are way better takes than what you see in the in the video. But uh, the guy who filmed it thought that was hilarious because you know because she was just like, "You get a haunted city, Daddy, jeez." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 my daughter. She's pretty rad. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so glad I asked that question. That's fantastic. <laughs> can can I give you a follow up? Yeah, yeah. The bar yeah. that we filmed in at the beginning. Yeah, that yeah. Is, that is one of the oldest bars in the city. It's a place called Abix Bar. It's on the southwest side. And I actually ran my demo there last night. And uh, it is the coolest place. Awesome. It's it looks sucked, cool. And it's a, it's yeah. a straight up neighborhood, small neighborhood bar. Uh, the guy who owns it now, Eric, he's the sixth generation of that family that's owned it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, his great granddad, I want to say. Um, or his great uncle built that building in 1907, and then s sold the building and the bar to his great grandfather in 1910. Wow! So wow, pretty cool. So so that raises an interesting question. Then uh, the um, the locales that you have in the setting uh -huh. are they are they owned by? Do you use the same real names or do you alternate the names? Or that's all real. Ninety nine percent. Ninety nine percent of it's real. Except that's... for the companies most likely to sue us. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Like Roxxon. So so a fan <laughs> of the setting could literally go to Detroit and be like, I know this place. Yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. And cool. if you look through the player's guide, we, we're using photographs for a lot of the interior illustrations. So and you can visually identify it. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. Guys, this is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it really Thanks, is. Man. Thank it you. Really is. I'm glad you're, I'm I'm glad just, you're uh, excited. I'm excited you're excited. So there were um, with, with Accursed, you had um, you had a crossover with Shintar, and I'm curious if you guys had considered um, you know funding being successful and more products in the future. Whenever that happens, have you considered uh, crossovers with other Savage World settings, like maybe East Texas University or Realms of Cthulhu or or anything that else that exists? East Texas University is the one that people keep asking about, and if we are funded, I will definitely approach Ed and Clint and see if they are interested in doing something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see Realms of Cthulhu or either of the other Cthulhu games being a really strong fit for us to cross over with. But right. uh, What about uh, Agents Rippers of Oblivion? Is another one that, uh, Agents of Oblivion could be a very strong contender. Uh, Rippers is something that I had a couple ideas for as well. Oh, any possibility. Cool. Neat. Oh, that's, that's even more exciting. Cool. 
right. Um, yeah, I'm just looking real quick to see if there's any other questions that we had remaining. Uh, Ron, did you have any others? No, I'm. I'm. Uh, I, I, it's really cool because I started out kind of psyched for this, and I'm ending up like really psyched and feeling like I need to go go get on Facebook and uh, uh, G Plus and start talking more about this. So yeah, the damn thing gets please, funded. Please do. Please <laughs> do. One thing that I don't think we have mentioned adequately is the patches and the dice are going to be a Kickstarter yeah. exclusive. And oh, I okay. Which I would like people know that. So if that's something you're interested in getting, back the Kickstarter because we won't have them afterwards. So along those lines, uh, as you know, Savages are very enthusiastic about the action deck and having custom action decks for their uh, their their settings. Do you one you know do you plan to to possibly do an action deck or? Is there an action deck that you've seen, or action deck, a, you know, a playing cards, a deck of playing cards that you've seen that would be perfect for using with, uh, uh, with uh, th the Thin Blue Line? There are a lot of police decks out there. I'm not familiar with any brand names off the top of my head that I could recommend a specific one, but those could work. That would be my first instinct, would be to go to something that's police-themed. Okay. Jason, do you have any strong recommendation? I don't, honestly. Usually with cards, I just pick up what's ever near and use them. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not really picky. I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my first one at hand is usually the accursed deck we did for Accursed because I right. like to show off that artwork. Yeah, and that's oh, yeah. what made me think about. That was you know the, the Accursed deck, which you had even variant decks for as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do another one, but I couldn't come up with enough artwork for it yet. Right. Um, when the book is okay. finished and we've got all the art in hand, that may be a separate issue. Okay, cool. Good to know. Good to know. So you also have um, you have some upcoming uh, interviews and such. Another hanging on air, I believe, this week. Um, yeah. So that'll be exciting. So we'll we'll keep an eye out for that and we'll we'll promote that as well. Right on. Um, and that's with uh, I think that's James August Wallace. Is that yep. correct? Yeah. And he's, yeah. Uh, I live for Critz's blog. We've mentioned his blog a couple times. Uh, good content. Really good content on his site. Awesome. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Cool. So how long have you been playing Savage Worlds, Jason? What year is it? <laughs> it's 2015. <laughs> um, probably, I don't know, probably since uh, 08 or 09. Okay. I got into, well, no, you know what, honestly, I've been playing it since 1993 when Deadlands, well, Deadlands. Deadlands. Yeah. When Deadlands came out. Right? Is the grandchild of Deadlands. So. Right. right. Absolutely. But yeah, Savage Worlds, I got it, really got into Savage Worlds probably in 08 or 09. About when they did the Explorers edition. Yeah, and that's what my first. That's you can't what argue with the ten dollar rule book, right? Exactly. Yeah. And actually, my first, my first, uh, my first Savage setting that I did for myself was Savage Robotech. Nice, neat. I look forward to that document in my mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's not much of a document. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we had a fantastic time at Gen Con. What was it? Three years ago, with Jason running a Savage Robotech yeah. game. Here. God, that was some fun. Yeah. So you just mentioned Deadlands, and that, that actually uh, reminded me of another question I did have. Mm -hmm. uh, and you also talked about the, the rich history of Detroit. Mm -hmm. What if I wanted to do this setting in an alternate time period? Uh, are there, are there um, uh, you know, is there anything that in the, in the setting book that can accommodate that? When we started, go ahead. When we started talking about this, I 
desperately wanted Jason to do it as a 70s cop story. Oh, awesome. Or the 80s cop story, right, where you have, like, the dust sergeant, like, yelling and... You know. <laughs> You're off the case, McCluskey. Turn in your badge. You're a loose cannon. You're out of line. You're out of line. I'm out of line. <laughs> this whole, the whole stinking city's out of line. <laughs> yes! See, that's the thing, right? Like, for Thin Blue Line, you know, I sort of think of it as a police procedural. I think of it as sort of dark, and I hate to use the word gritty because everybody throws that word around about Detroit, but kind right. of a dark, street-level gritty, kind of, you know, ugly. People die really easily, you know, it's kind right. of really terrifying. Um, but if you wanted to play this as one of those, if you want to throw your badge across the desk at the sergeant, that's a totally legit way to play Thin Blue Line. <laughs> awesome. You know? If you want to play it as a, as a, like an 80s, if you want to play it as a lethal weapon, please do. <laughs> What you know, about uh, like noir? Hammer. Like if I or wanted to do like oh like, god, uh, sledgehammer, yes, oh, that's awesome. That would be hilarious. Oh my god! All right, project's over. <laughs> Serrano, Serrano, I'm gonna need your badge and your gun. For that <laughs> one. We're doing savage sledgehammer now. <laughs> so I, I was also imagining like uh, you know like Deadlands Noir um, got some pretty good traction. So I can imagine a noir type uh, component to it too. Mm -hmm. Oh man, the, the the city was so much different in the 20s mm -hmm. that money. It had a ton of money, and it would be it would be like a completely different setting. It would be amazing. There are neighborhoods that don't exist anymore that existed in the twenties. Cool. So that's a thin blue line companion due out in twenty sixteen. Maybe. <laughs> like, right. like, like we said, man, we gotta fund this first. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Awesome. Awesome. I hear you. Cool. All right. Well, well, we'll, good, uh, yeah, good luck we'll in these last the seven days. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks. I appreciate it. Definitely. We're gonna. We'll 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 be sure to keep mentioning it uh, online and yeah, tell your friends. Uh, yeah, indeed, indeed. So uh, yeah, we are nearing the end of the hour. Uh, any last bits that you guys want to include before we uh, end the show, John? Um, really, just the biggest thing is we're really excited about the setting. We really want to bring it to you. Please, from the bottom of my heart, if you are interested in seeing it out there, tell your friends who might be interested about it and consider backing us because we we need your help to get this out yeah. there and get it done. Excellent. And that's, I really can't add anything to that. Just please, please, please back us so we can make this, make this awesome game. We'll have to get back together for another hangout when it, uh, when it reaches its goal and uh, pop a bottle of champagne or something. I'm down. Yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I'm down. We'll, we'll make that one not on air. Right. <laughs> not hang out on air. Right. Oh, Excellent. good times. One final question. Uh, why do you hate Shane Hensley, John? Good night, everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was it. <laughs> I joke. Can go through we with it. Awesome. Yeah. You dared me to ask the question. I know it's not an actual thing, but this is funny. <laughs> For those of you at home, we were actually joking about even just ending the broadcast right then and there. And just, uh, yeah. Just, <laughs> we're out of time. Good night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, thank you both again for uh, for coming on, and uh, and thank you again for reaching out to us to, to come on on this hangout. This has been a tremendous amount of fun, and I'm I'm really excited about it. I I've, I really felt bad early on because I, I was like I'm just I have so much fatigue from Kickstarter, and uh, you know back to other projects. I had a couple of decks of playing cards that I was backing, and I was like, you know what? Forget those playing cards. I'm back to <laughs> this. This is happening. So Thanks, uh, Thank yeah, you. yeah. I feel absolutely. bad for the playing cards, but no, no, don't, bad. don't. They're doing fine. They funded well in advance, so they don't need me. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you again, and uh, yeah, 
awesome. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on the Kickstarter and uh, and keep pushing it out there. Cool. Great. All right. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night.